0: Black sheep are the ones to see the BS, right? We see the facade, we call out the veneer, um, and we make sure that we call into question all of the criteria and all the traditions that would make us black sheep to begin with. And I think in in the process, black sheep then become those catalysts for new ways of seeing, new ways of living, and new ways of being.
1: On this episode of The Creator Community, we'll meet Michael Dunlau, Senior Brand and Diversity Advisor for one of the largest consulting firms in the world, and now published author. We'll learn who Gunkles are, why we need to celebrate the black sheep in our lives, and how a life of authenticity is no easy journey without compassion from those around you, especially in the LGBT community. We'll also follow Michael's journey that ultimately led him to publishing his new book, The Wisdom of Gunkles. Check it out. Welcome to the second season of the Creator Community. This is a new podcast series from book publisher New Degree Press or NDP. I'm your host, John Saunders, founder of Forward Advisory Solutions. This show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that publish their books through NDP. This year, New Degree Press will cross over 1,000 published authors in 2021. In the show, we'll get to know the authors as well as their books and get a behind the scenes look at their journey. We'll find out what it takes to bring a book from idea to actually being published and available wherever you buy books. It's no easy task, but it's certainly attainable. Today I have with me Michael Dunlau, author of The Wisdom of Gunkles. Michael is a seasoned speaker and creative executive equipped with more than 20 years of award-winning brand management, diversity strategy, and creative storytelling. He offers a proven record of helping large-scale organizations undergo transformations in their brand, creative direction, and marketing operations while continuously building the business of equality. A sought after speaker on audacious authenticity, brand elevation, and social equity. He's the author of The Wisdom of Gunkles*. Michael's book has an early September 2021 targeted publishing date and will be available wherever you buy books online. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's great to have you. So before we jump in, we heard a little bit about your background there, but love to dig in a little bit more deeply and get more of your story, your background, your career. You know, how did you navigate to where you are today, Michael?
0: so i was born in manila philippines uh, and eventually my family immigrated to sydney australia uh, and then i went to high school in santa barbara california returned back to sydney for college then went back to santa barbara to graduate college and then eventually found myself in washington dc where i've now resided um, for 20 years with my now husband and our very adorable 10 pound chihuahua rescue named america And I mention this because that journey of being a twice immigrant, three time immigrant, even if you think about my move from California to D.C., is very much a part of my story and very much a part of what informs my career journey as well. I was born to a very, very loving family in Manila who represented very two different geographies, cultures and I would say even perspectives of Filipino identity. But what they did share in common, my, both my mom and my dad, is that they themselves are creatives and they encouraged uh, their children, my brothers and I, to be creative. So we were always driven to music, theater, and the arts. However, because I was born under martial law, under the Marcos dictatorship, um, I was also always driven to care for my family, to care for my community, and to always want to make things better, you know? And I learned this from my parents, but I think most especially from my Lola or grandmother who instilled in my brothers and I a very deep understanding of really what it means to excel and how excelling is a way of defense. And that to achieve is to rise above and to lift your family with you. And that to shine is to frankly change the narrative, especially in a world where people like ourselves, brown immigrants, and at least unbeknownst to my grandmother at the time, queer people like me, Um, would not always be seen as credible, valued and frankly accepted. So I went to art school at the University of Sydney, Sydney College of the Arts. Then I graduated from UC Santa Barbara and I did that with a degree in photography multimedia design. And from there, basically all of my jobs and all of my career pursuits have had a mixture of art and social justice, either as part of its intention or part of its impact. But then what really jumpstarted my career was a spot in the 2000 races for US president and Congress, where I was able to help get our democratic ticket elected while also representing LGBTQ and POC interests. That is actually what took me to Washington DC, where I became a director at a boutique Capitol Hill lobbying firm, and then a director at the United Nations Association of in DC where I led communications and digital strategy and global education programs. And then eventually from there, I had a stint as a graduate fellow and communication strategist. uh, And then eventually the lead designer at a Georgetown University department uh, where I was also studying for my master's in communications. And also during that time, I co-founded my own company, Style and Image Network. And then I co-founded my former nonprofit, Fashion Fights Poverty. This of course led me to my current job at a Fortune 500 technology consulting firm that specializes in government and defense technology where I led that firm's entire rebrand and have since provided senior brand diversity and communications consulting to clients across the federal ecosystem. And I would say now moving forward after 20 plus years, my career sits at the intersection of brand diversity and innovation, all of it, anchored on this mission to really advance equity and access, especially for LGBTQ, BIPOC, and other marginalized communities. And I feel like in many, many ways, that in of itself is what I try to pour into my book, The Wisdom of Gunkles.
1: Quite a journey you've been on, uh, Michael, quite a journey. I mean, all this change, going from country to country, coast to coast, dealing with all this change, but I really And always with an eye on creativity and supporting others. And I really love this concept here, this idea you shared of your family, always supporting you and and encouraging you to be a creative person. And and through that, maybe help develop some of your your passion for helping and driving missions and supporting others. What what a fantastic story. Thank you. Uh, You know, when you think about the wisdom of uncles and how you got it off the ground, could you share with our (laughs) listeners a bit about that journey? How did you go from this idea to, hey, I've got a book in my hand
0: here. How did that come to be? It really is just like trying to solve a jigsaw puzzle with pieces made out of water. Like, I had an idea of what the outline was going to be, but how it actually fit inside it was completely different, especially with every single interview, with every single part of the journey. Um, What I ended up pitching to, uh, to NDP and the creative community was originally this idea of like, a fun sassy sort of like coffee table book, the typical kind of book you'll see in like an urban outfitters that you'll buy for your like college bound kid so that they have like some cool, cute little thing to put on their bookshelves. It was gonna be filled with, you know, chic little illustrations of suave gay men, you know, holding up martini glasses saying, you got this girl and yes, you know, all those little sayings. And uh, originally, it was just going to be me. It was just going to be basically my perspective, my story. And then I realized, you know, as a good marketer, that I needed to expand my readership. So I said, you know what? I should probably bring other voices and other people in here. And that's when I started to do a data call for other gunkles, other uh, other people in my life who I thought, hey, you have an interesting story, you have an interesting perspective on X, Y, and Z. Can I interview you on, you know, for this book? But then when I realized that. I, I, I really, really needed to dig deeper into their stories. And that's when I realized that this book was going to be different. First of all, for me to clearly identify and articulate why they were credible gunkles, and credible gurus to begin with, and to clearly articulate essentially what their triumph was, I had to delve into their trauma you know, I had to delve into all of the challenges and all of the journeys that they had to engage in and undergo to basically get to the wisdom, the insight, the lesson, the cautionary tale, all of the things that they would want to impart on the next generation, um, you know, in the community of their families, what have you. And so what resulted essentially was a book that you know, is is something very, very different from what I had originally intended, but frankly, is far more meaningful, relevant, and helpful. And I have to admit, a lot of that is is very much because of the very close relationship I ended up having with the editors, with um, everyone that was guiding me through this book journey. These are very rare stories, like I said, these are very rare stories that are very rarely told um, from perspectives that are very rarely celebrated, let alone, um, you know, visualized. And I wanted to make sure that their stories were, um, you know, were kept whole while at the same time, making sure that we drew out all the things that would broaden and and, and broaden their appeal and make these stories more universal.
1: And I love the fact that, you know, you had this concept, but after working with the team, the coaches, the editors, you really worked this into a story and marrying it with your own marketing background into a story and bringing others into it and, and really not just sharing their story, but, you know, supporting and telling their stories, which seems to be a very big and recurring theme in your life, which is just awesome. Michael, for those who might not know, who is a gunkle? What does that word mean?
0: (laughs) So gunkle is a portmanteau. It is the contraction of gay and uncle into gunkle. But in the context of my book, I really broaden its use. It's really meant to also represent all of the LGBTQ um, heroes and mentors and guides in a family. And in my book also, it's really important to note that family is not at all defined by blood. We do discuss biological families, but I think more importantly, what we try to do is celebrate and better understand chosen families. So for me, so I actually also introduce other delightful little portmanteaus, such as the Lanti, lesbian auntie, the uncle and quanti, the queer uncle and queer auntie. We have truncles, tronties. Most recently in an interview, in a conversation I had, I had a pansexual aunt ask me, so as a pansexual aunt to several nieces and nephews, am I a pont? I don't know if I like that. And I said, no, 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 no. You're a panty, which means a collective <laughs> noun and a group of y'all are panties. And yes, <laughs> you should use that. <laughs> Hashtag? Uh, Hashtag panties. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's unbelievable. Thank you for that. Uh, uh clear definition of the gunkle and the broad use that you've given to it. It sounds like you've got a second book just uh, capturing these words and helping define them for people. That's fantastic. Right. You know, one of the themes you've talked about, you've kind of alluded to, it, but certainly you get into more in the book is this idea of black sheeps and, and why it's important to celebrate them. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about that? Why it's important to celebrate those folks in your life and your family?
0: Absolutely. So um, one of the interesting surprises in writing this book was trying to to figure out exactly how to anchor this book into a central theme, a central idea. And it all actually came out of the beginning story and this idea that, you know, of, of the black sheep of the family and how the black sheep of the family really becomes the disruptor, the innovator, the norm breaker, and the rule defier for families and by extension community and by extension humanity, right? It made me start to realize that, you know, while black sheep are typically, you know, shunned in a family, we're typically cast aside, uh, many ways were erased, right? We are the ultimate cautionary tale. What we also provide is that defiance to traditions that don't always include us. And interestingly, I do find that LGBTQ people are the ultimate Black sheep. But even so, I do also see that there is a little Black sheep in all of us, you know, especially those of us who are entrepreneurs, those of us who want to change Um, you know systems that may be not right or may not be equitable right in fact i would say that black sheep would be anyone who has ever challenged the instance of it's always been that way right because frankly the term it's always been that way has never pushed our society forward has never made us more diverse more equal more inclusive black sheep are the ones to see the bs right we see the facade we call out the veneer um, and we make sure that we call into question all of the criteria and all the traditions that would make us black sheep to begin with. And I think in that process, in the process, black sheep then become those catalysts for new ways of seeing, new ways of living, and new ways of being.
1: What a fascinating concept. No doubt, every one of us has some level of black sheep in us, I think, and particularly, uh, I mean... And if not in ourselves, certainly in our family somewhere. And mm-hmm. I, I think for many years, decades, we've maybe tried to hide those things or pretend they didn't exist. And I, I really appreciate this idea of, you know, not just acknowledging they exist, but celebrating them, because they're going to bring new thinking, creative thinking, oftentimes mm-hmm. better ideas to what what it is we need to do and, and what's next. So, uh, and dear God, the concept of this is how we've always done it is uh, not something i am ever particularly fond of. <laughs> uh You know, I hear a lot about... Uh, authenticity and compassion here you know what do you think it means to live with authenticity and passion michael in your life
0: well i've always said that to live with authenticity means to constantly negotiate your physical personal professional and psychological safety and it's a constant wave and a constant back and forth of how much of who i am at my core is safe to surface in any given moment In many ways, I see this as the cornerstone of code switching, you know, and code switching being the practice of shifting how you express yourself, shifting how you dress, shifting even your accent and your language. Is sometimes even denying your accent and your language, even denying your name, changing your name, you know, on your resume, for example, to make sure that you're not discriminated against because of preconceived discriminatory notions of what certain names, de- um, you know, denote in terms of professionalism and, and credibility and ca- and capacity to do something. You know, a lot of us, you know, navigate life closer, especially those of us who embody marginalized identities. Uh, particularly those of us who um, are LGBTQ, who are people of color, who are immigrants, who um, you know express gender in, in different dynamic, creative ways, who don't necessarily fit into the quote-unquote norm. Um, many of us have had to constantly shift aspects of ourselves to make ourselves fit into those norms and to fit into society. In some cases, it's camouflage. In some cases, it's a way for us to prevent violence, you know, to be enacted upon us. In other cases, in, in some very rare cases, it's a way for us to make ourselves distinct and maybe gain opportunity and to gain advantage. But for the most part, it is very much a survival instinct. So, and it's so ingrained into how we perform our identities and perform who we are that we sometimes forget what it is in fact many people who hear the word code switching especially when i've taught on um, some workshops that i've taught in the past or have had conversations about code switching i have actually discovered many people who reflect my own identity other people of color other lgbtq people other immigrants who frankly don't know what code switching is and it wasn't until they were given that name to that phenomenon to that practice they realized that they have actually been code switching their entire lives When I say authenticity with compassion, the reason why I always want to um, associate compassion with with authenticity is that we have to have compassion for people who have to create that negotiation, who have to navigate the world constantly wondering um, and frankly remembering which parts of them are safe in which situations, in what criteria, right? Also, when it comes to particularly LGBTQ people, I would say code-switching can sometimes be considered considered as uh, another, a new closet, if you will. You know, part of our journeys as, as LGBTQ people is coming out is never just a singular journey. Right. We come out every single moment we wake up, every time we enter a new space, every time we meet new people, every time we begin a new path. Once again, there has to be compassion for that, right? This compassion, um, you know, not only for yourself, you know, when you choose which parts of yourself can surface. But I think it's also important for allies to have compassion for those of us who, frankly, have to make these negotiations because we don't have the privilege not to make these negotiations.
1: There's a lot there for sure. And this concept of performing your identity, I thought really got my attention because I think everyone, uh, certainly, uh, immigrants, LGBT, the LGBT community that, you know, perform some kind of identity every day and what's acceptable, what's not, and how do you feel about that? And being authentic is, I'm sure creates a lot of, takes a lot of energy and, 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 uh, many times pain for people to go out and actually be the person that they are, and so I, I really mm-hmm. love this this marriage of it with the compassion idea, because we all could be a bit more compassionate and empathetic to those of us around us. You, you mentioned uh, this concept a bit uh, earlier about chosen families, and certainly some areas of safety here. You know how do mm-hmm. how do you how have you seen in your life that chosen families can create safe space?
0: Absolutely. Um, So actually, just coming off of the conversation about authenticity, um, I have a a chapter in my book that I absolutely adore. It's a beautiful, magical chapter called The Nerd. And it starts uh, with this description of a comic book convention floor, actually the Dragon Con. And for listeners who may not be familiar, Dragon Con is one of the largest Comic Con's cosplay conventions in the world, uh, where you would typically see um, what I call, I think, a cavalcade of Scarlet Witches and Stygian Darth Vader's and automatons, uh, you know, dragons, and little elves, and and all these superheroes and supermen of shapes, various shapes and sizes, you know, all crisscrossing and and exploring who they are through the magic of storytelling and fantasy, sci-fi, and creation. And um, in the midst of this, there is this character who I, I call Coda, who discovers that they are not only queer, but also transgender. And they use the safety of this culture that literally expects you to discover different parts of yourself through costume, through through fantasy, and, and, and create basically almost like a, a chrysalis in which you can form who you truly are in your inner core. In fact, I'd love to start with this quote from that chapter uh, where I say, chosen families weave safety where there is none and nurture dreams that some biological families might never understand. They create worlds where people are safe to explore versions of who they are until they unearth the core of their truth. And most importantly, chosen families are family. And for queer people, it can be the only ones we have. Chosen families themselves are uniquely attributed to the LGBTQ community and the LGBTQ experience, especially because it is so quintessential to our experience that, you know, we are you know, unfortunately, very frequently rejected by our biological families. We are forced out, cast out of our communities as the black sheep that we are. Then we have to find a community elsewhere. And that community, which is not bound to us by blood, but is bound to us by affinity, by similar journeys, by an understanding of our, of our journeys, of our life, of our identities and our dreams and aspirations as LGBTQ people or just, or just as people, right? Um, they become basically the space in which we find the nurturing and the love and the affirmation that we don't always get. And in many cases, we'll never get from our biological families. And so chosen families are fascinating because they are intentional. In fact, back to, to mention the nerd again, I have a beautiful line in there that, that basically says that chosen families are created with the same Care and intention as a cosplayer creates their capes, their costumes, their masks. Chosen families, you know, help you to to go from using a wig as camouflage to using a wig as celebration. You know, where some people use a wig to blend in, a lot of LGBTQ people use a wig to stand the f out <laughs> under a spotlight and with pride, right? But it was the chosen family in most cases that allowed us to do that.
1: Sounds like it might be one of the most important elements of the LGBTQ community is this chosen family idea that in many times, it as you said, it may be your only family. Uh, and certainly they you know, give you this ability to be more authentic and, and let you do that with compassion, which even helps feed it even more. That's a, a thank you for sharing that story. When you think about allies to the LGBT community, uh, Michael, you know, what can allies learn from these stories? And let me add one thought to that. What can sure. people who have thought about being allies learn from these stories and maybe not sure where to start or what
0: to do? I think first and foremost, um, it's learned that while these are unapologetically clear stories, that they are first and foremost achingly human stories. They are relentlessly human stories, which hopefully means that they are universal And that they finally demonstrate that the LGBTQ community is not a monolith, that we are not all one and the same. Um, When I was choosing the characters that I wanted to depict, the real life stories and the interviews that I wanted to engage in for this book, I was very purposeful about making sure that they were as diverse as possible. And specifically, I chose diverse identities that I knew for a fact have not always been represented in particularly mainstream LGBTQ narratives, which have tended to be primarily white and male and cisgendered, and frankly, middle to upper middle class. And that is absolutely not representative of the full LGBTQ experience. And so my characters are predominantly people of color, predominantly immigrants and very multinational, and all of them escaped intense socio-political economic trauma and downfalls of the, from their own um, home countries many of them are from very very different walks of life very different professions from the academic in ohio that i spoke to to a uh, dr- uh, non-binary paraguayan uh, drag artist and hairstylist, to a journalist to a uh, cosplayer who's also a sound engineer to the U.S. Army foreign language translator, uh, to myself, my own stories in there, and so I bring my also also my journey as a corporate marketer, um, you know, to a whole host of other stories that I'm hoping because I hopefully chose right, and I do believe I chose right, that hopefully other people can see themselves in these stories, um, regardless of how they identify. Yeah,
1: and I. A key theme in there that keeps resonating to my mind as you share these stories is this idea of giving people the space, the freedom to be themselves. And I think that's mm-hmm. a, a across countries, across so many different types of folks. And I think you really shared that. So I, I, I very much hear a global message here that I think we could all learn from in interacting with people mm-hmm. in general, particularly the LGBT community that has, has faced so many challenges over the years. Uh, thank you for sharing that. When you think about, uh, you know, this journey you've been on, what what an awesome one it's been and so much that you've learned through your book and, and certainly sounds like about yourself and your own life. You know, what's been an unexpected positive you found from going through this book journey or
0: writing this book? My audiences. Okay. So when I honestly, when I first wrote this book, I was like, I'm just going to write this for my fellow, you know, Gunkles. It's going to be for also, my nibblings, you know, it was very much a the people that are in this book and everyone who may look up to us as as guides, uh, which by the way, in and of itself, I do find to be revolutionary, because it's not as if we've enjoyed a long human history where the LGBTQ experience, you know, would be deemed worthy of 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 mentorship, right? that would be that we would be considered. Elders and gurus and, and heroes and mentors, right? If anything, I would be, I would think that a majority of history, in the majority of history, we would be the exact opposite. We were like the ultimate cautionary tale, the black sheep, if you will. So just the fact that I am you know presenting this idea that no, as LGBTQ people, we are absolutely mentors, we are absolute, we have experiences that are worth listening to and worth gleaning wisdom from. Because trust me, it we we can teach y'all something. What I found out is who actually has been gravitating towards these lessons and these stories is not the people I necessarily expected. Number one, moms. So mothers and people with book clubs out there, especially moms with book clubs, you know, uh, you're more than welcome to pick up this book and share it amongst your many, many, many book clubs. Um, But specifically, I would say mothers who really see themselves as the primary caretakers in their families, I found that they really resonate with many of the elements of this book, um, because I think they want to make sure that they become agents of change, that they become uh, the people who create Biological families are just spaces in general, whether it's in their family or not, in which their children, their children's peers and friends, uh, their own nieces and nephews and the generation that, that they are taking care of can find that safety to explore who they are and be who they are. So I love you moms. I love my mom, obviously, and I love the mothers out there who are finding value in this book. The other one is educators. I love the fact that so many educators have told me how valuable they see this Um, In that space, specifically for their students, um, that this could be a great uh, resource for not just LGBTQ youth and their LGBTQ students, but also their students in general, especially immigrant students, students of color, um, because this may be one of the first times that they see these kinds of stories celebrated and told with this truth i mean one thing about these stories that i will say is that i don't shy away from the pain i don't shy away from the trauma um you know it really is this journey of of trauma to triumph um and trying for themselves does not necessarily mean that the trauma ends it's just that they've arrived at you know mechanisms to to overcome them or to see them and address them you know when they come again and and you know what I found is like those are things that a lot of people can relate to. It's certainly a lot of things that a lot of young people can relate to. And, and I'm so glad that educators have found value in this. So that was probably my biggest um, you know, surprise. And if nothing else, the fact that I get to do something like that has made this entire author journey worthwhile.
1: That's incredible. So going through this journey, you've found there's so many audiences out there you hadn't even considered yet. And what a positive message for people to have, particularly in the schools, to help people be compassionate, to let those around them be their authentic selves and not not let people live their lives, not have to hide who they are and get out and, and perform you know, their mm-hmm. identity as opposed to the identity they think they should have or others think they should have. Uh, you I, I feel like there's a branding future with Black sheep somewhere and with uh, your marketing background headed our way. <laughs> uh, speaking of the uh, the future, uh, Michael, what would you say the future holds for you in this book? How would you see this as a, where do you see success with this?
0: Um I absolutely would love to see these stories manifest and activate through something like a Netflix show, right? or or, or a dedicated um, you know documentary series where we really do delve into uh, the lives, the stories of not just the people in this book, but the communities and the identities that they represent. So, you know, from this podcast to uh, Netflix producer's ear, I would love to be able to see these stories live out in that kind of storytelling medium. But I think in general, really the future for these books is this Honoring the black sheep, you know, like just to bring it full circle, this idea that, you know, the black sheep have always been the ones that are shunned, that are ignored, that are erased, that are forgotten. What I want this book and these stories to do is to not just remember them, but honor them, um, honor the value that they really, truly bring to their families, into the community and to the world, and, and recognize the fact that every single freedom and right um, that we enjoy today, A, it's very, very fragile and needs to be constantly vigilantly protected. But it all started from the struggles and the journeys of these black sheep, these forgotten ones that came before. You know, there's there's a beautiful story in my in my book called The Elder. It's actually the story of my own uncle. And uh, if you might, I would just love to read um, you know the excerpt from that. It says, though they were silenced by society, queer forebears were not silent. Though they may have done so quietly in whispers versus arias, they made their voice known in their own way. They found their stage and danced their dance. And though it may not be a stage we would take to now, it was a stage nonetheless. And it is time that they get the spotlight they deserve. And that for me is the future for this for this book, is this, this content, is that it serves as the starting point of spotlights on these stories that we don't always hear, that we have forgotten, that we have erased, and hopefully present and future stories that we will dare not forget and dare not erase moving forward.
1: What a, a fantastic message, and I love the aspirations you have. I certainly could see this as a, a, a Netflix special or a streaming special. I love that story. And, and this point you're making about adversity and shining the light makes me think of this great quote. I, I saw a praise quote for your book, which was, uh, anyone who has experienced adversity will find tremendous strength in this guide to realizing that your adversity is your superpower. And Yves Sousa uh, from Sinway mm-hmm, Adventures, uh, the founder of but what, what a great quote to really capture your book. And what a fantastic story about really helping and elevating others that have maybe lived in you know, darkness in many ways for many, many years and, and showing people that you, know, you can live your own identity and live your own life. And, and I think there's such a positive message for so many out there. Uh, Michael, if people want to find out more about you and your and your book, where might they go to find information?
0: Well, soon you'll be able to get it on Amazon and anywhere that you purchase books online, as you mentioned earlier for right now, you can also, and actually for some time, you'll also find a lot of information on www.thewisdomofgunkles.com, And across all the socials, I will be hashtagging all my content with hashtag the wisdom of Guncles and hashtag gunkles. And you can also find me Michael Dumlau, on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Goodreads under my name, Michael Dumlau.
1: A great message and easy man to find out there. The Wisdom of Gunkel is available this summer, September 2021, wherever you buy books online. Michael, thanks so much for being on the show.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate this platform. Thank you.
1: My pleasure. I'm your host, John Saunders. Keep moving forward.